Ja. In these troubled lockdown times of need it is important to let you know that the following episode of Writer's Block contains material that some people might find downright filthy and inappropriate. If you are easily led and of a nervous disposition turn off at once and get into an incredibly warm bath. You have been warned. Hi, this is Martin Stevenson. You're listening to Writer's Block, radio hour only on Super Sound Radio. Have a great day. can only give you a half and a rotten egg with spit on it the other in an atmosphere of salt the human clock shook to the end down in nature and splitting up at two towns everything is chaotic and all that is real takes a vaccine that picture tells a lie just as a song can hide a whim new pressure is added Alien facts come to the fore and the mind can but only distort. Goodbye, John, I hope you're there to meet me when I'm gone. My old son, the grass is black, we both reap the same yawn. Cabbage patch boy to the thud of the streetcars moves with the wand of the morning. The pedantic light shift sends waves of fear over this solitary storm. An inflection is taking place. A recital of thought. An effortless sketch of a childlike view of what appears to be true, untrue. Sing again An erection starts And then the dawn Once again Goodbye John I hope you're there To meet me when I'm gone My 
wild summer grass is black We both reap the same young Where we John, where we John I hope you're there to meet me when I'm gone My old son, the grass is black We both reap the same young How Small Jigsaw, an extract from Bright Colours Only, written and performed by Pauline Goldsmith. When I was told about the Christmas turkeys, when I saw the gerbil drowned in a bucket When I tried to resuscitate it When Colin spliced flies with his badminton racket When Daddy told me what six foot under meant When Julie McLeish squashed her sister's white mouse And cried because it wouldn't move When Mr Furbrother out of Heidi High died When we used to bury the cat in the grass when he was still alive when Lewis got put down for shitting in the bread bin. When Stuart got run over by joyriders. When I watch American TV movies. When I saw her moisturiser in the bathroom. When my dad told me he'd be pushing up daisies then. When my ma told me that dogs had no souls. When I saw her fingerprints. When Sister may have said Protestants had souls but didn't know how to use them. When she died without a happy ending. When Uncle Paddy died in his potatoes. When the man who sold the out-of-date cream eggs was shot dead in his sweetie shop. When my daddy told me what stars were. When I got my ashes. When Elvis died. When Bobby Sands died. When Nanny died and I felt special at school. When Colin got a skeleton from medical school and kept her in a shoebox. When Davy's ma went to bed frightened she'd never wake up. When Robert forgot to feed the guinea pigs. When she said it was the longest night of her life. When we turned the television back on. When I found out the final nail is plastic. When I had a lump, when I pulled a bird from the cat's mouth, when the ambulance man tried to revive him, when my ma told me dogs had no souls, when the ambulance man said, make your mummy a cup of tea.
What's this? It's the new Bell and Sebastian. Do you like it? Sebastian. It's the record we've been listening to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume? just trying to cheer us up so go ahead put on some old sad bastard music see if I care The Emergency Code revised written by Glenn Dixon performed by Stephen McCall Do you know that the average person has 10,000 thoughts every single day? 10,000 Just imagine it and the time it takes the barman here to pour me my drink, take my money and give me my change, you'll have probably had about seven or maybe eight. Did I unplug the iron before I left the house? Will I have that fourth gin and tonic? Will I make a clumsy pass at the brunette in the corner and if I can, actually convince her to come home with me? Will my cock stay hard long enough to pleasure her? My mate Tony, a guy I've known almost all of my life, reckons I can read his thoughts. Well, the boy's always been a good judge of character, I'll say that for him. You see, he, like a lot of people around here, is just too damn obvious for his own good. He leaves himself wide open, drops his guard completely. You see... It's very easy to tap into a person's thoughts if you have the right know-how. It's like piggybacking a Wi-Fi signal. I can teach you how to hack into the connection and get into a person's head in like five minutes. Tops. And it doesn't matter about your willpower, which basically is just like your security password, kiddo. Because I will bypass it and be balls deep inside your mind. Your password is the words that will pass from your mouth. And once inside, I will see it all. Your highs, your lows, your faults, your insecurities, your self-esteem issues. Even the greatest mind wranglers are only ever spot on about 70% of the time. The real challenge in life is not just simply getting what you want, but continuing to want more of what you already have. Why settle for just enough? Why not take it all? Just look at those multi-millionaire TV evangelists. They know how to do this. They've been climbing into people's heads and fleecing their pockets and souls for years. And then sleeping like babies afterwards in their super king-sized beds. 
Do you see that very ordinary looking woman over there in the blue dress? The one sat with her bored boyfriend in the checky shirt and scuffed brogues. I noticed her floundering about and lacking the social skills to get the waiter's attention. Or that overly dressed guy in the tweeds. He thinks he's too smart to be read, to be taken for the biggest ride of his life. But he's a prime candidate. The clenching of his jaw, the tight lips, are all weakness indicators. Like neon signs above them, giving them away. Tonight, I am turning my attention to someone very special out there. You've probably noticed my mark already. She's tonight's obvious choice and she won't know what's hit her. The average person has 10,000 thoughts a day. But then I'm not average. Now watch and observe. I'll be asking questions when I get back. And when I do, the Milky Bars will most definitely be on me. Deliveroo from Evil, written and performed by Onya King. Oh shit! Hang on, hang on! Hello, caller! Thank you for calling Web Witchery at Skype Sorcerer. My name's Walperga, here to meet your magical needs. Can I ask you your name, caller? Simon, that's lovely. Okay, Simon, just pop your web witchery pin number into the box at the top of the screen, next to the pentagram. Lovely. And while we're waiting for that to process, I'll just quickly tell you about our special offer to celebrate this week's full moon. If you recommend two friends for tarot card or crystal readings, you get 50% off any of our healing and harm charms. Please note that due to COVID-19 emergency, healing charms are restricted to the customer and love potions are currently unavailable due to social distancing rules. Would you like me to send you the link, Simon? You sure? Okay. Please choose from the following magical options. Spells, hexes, fortune-telling, charms, potions, curses, summoning demons, raising the dead, a curse. Lovely. We've got the three minor mishaps curse, the worst weekend, the fully comprehensive job car, house dog and or cat. There's the long and lingering illness and of course the COVID-19 is very popular at the moment. Oh, you want the COVID-19. Lovely. Would that be unseen carrier, horse and haggard? Near-death Boris Johnson style, actual near-death or actual death. Actual near-death. Not the Boris Johnson one, you actually want him to have it. Okay, him being... I mean, who is it for, Pep? Will, and Will is your partner? Ex-partner, <laughs> lovely. And that's Will Mason, that's M-A-S-O-N. Oh, he's cheated on you again, oh dear. He's not even trying to do social distancing, is he? That will be £39.99 plus VAT. Visa debit? Lovely. 
Just pop your card number into the box on the left of your screen under the runes. And have you got something that belongs to him? Something personal, like a hat or a glove? A, a comb with some of his hairs in it? You've got a condom you used. He used. Lovely, if you're absolutely sure it's his. This is quite powerful magic, you see, Simon. Once a curse is dispatched, it can't be cancelled or transferred. Full terms and conditions are available on our website. Skype is also accept no liability for loss, damage, arrest, death or damnation due to inaccurate incantations or erroneous objects. His toothbrush? That might be better, because if you're not totally sure on the condom, you're 85, 75, 70% sure. Get the toothbrush, Simon. Okay, lovely. What's that? Is that a toothbrush? Are you sure? It looks like a little wire. It looks like a mascara for a mouse. For in between your teeth. Oh, I see. Will's very fastidious about his teeth anyway. Okay, so what I need you to do, Simon, is hold the little toothbrush up to your screen. That's lovely. Press it in your hands really tight and picture Will for me. Is what? No, no, don't describe him. Just picture him for me, Simon. If you see him, I see him, okay? Okay, lovely. Mm, mm, mm. Okay then, Simon, that's a COVID-19 near-death curse ordered for your ex-will. If I can just have an address for delivery. 27A Wellington Road. Lovely. And he'll definitely be at home, will he? Self-isolating. <laughs> Only he isn't. Oh, the two-timing snake. Leave it with a neighbour. That's not really a very good idea with a near-death COVID virus curse, Simon. Right, well, we'll get it off to him right away. Did you want to add a message? I hope you show... Too spiteful? Well, maybe a bit. Hope this hurts you like you... Okay, <laughs> yeah, no message. Right, lovely. That's all ordered for you, Simon. Is there anything else I can help you with? Can I tell you where there's any pasta? <laughs> Sorry, Simon, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Well, you've earned five loyalty points, which will be credited to your Web Witchery account. My name's Walperga, and when Skype Sorcerer reach out to you to rate your purchasing experience with Web Witchery, I hope you'll give me positive feedback. Lovely. Bye for now. Bye. You stupid, sad sod. <laughs> Jason? It's Hayley. You awake? Got a job for you. You're what? Sick? Sick people don't get paid, Jason. Well, take some paracetamol and get up. Okay, 27A Wellington Road. Near death curse. Near death, Jason. Let's try not to kill this one, shall we? Call me when you're done. Lovely. I was a little boy, I'd often look into the sky Peering the blue heavens with those white sheep floating by I feared of a time when I might have to hold a gun I hoped I'd never have to kill a man I said, hey Lord, halo, hey Lord I hope I never have to kill a man Singing, hey Lord, halo, hey Lord 
I hope I never have to kill a man My late teens I did find a poet's soul And friendship from the women who did help my garden grow Played music for molasses, played music for a kiss Was sure I'd never have to kill a man I'd sing halo, halo, halo Was sure I'd never have to kill a man Singing halo, halo, halo Was sure I'd have But soon the climate changed and my country was brought down Invasion from the war had simply turned my world around Enlisted as a partisan, I took my gun to ground Still hoped I'd never have to kill a man I'd sing halo, halo, halo Hope I never have to kill a man Singing halo, halo, halo I hope I never have to kill a man As I came to a clearing, saw a soldier just like me Who reached out for his rifle, but I beat him to his knee Shot him to the chest before he passed, whisper to me He said, I'm glad I never had to kill a man He whispered, halo, halo, halo I'm glad I never have to kill a man Singing halo, halo, halo I'm glad I never have to kill a man This is Jean Hartley Siddon from Brooklyn, New York, performing the role of Martha in Beach Wedding by Vivian Learmond. Gulf Shores, Alabama. It's beautiful, I'll give you that. But a wedding on the beach, barefoot? I mean, <laughs> why did I even bother getting a pedicure? My only daughter, Portia, got married here today. That girl was born into the wrong generation. This was the 60s, it would be different, but Portia was born in 1992, part of the It's All About Me generation. Where is the respect for tradition? Six months ago, she tells her father and me that her and her boyfriend, Jerry, are getting married on a beach. 
I tried to stay calm, talk some sense into the girl. I don't do calm well. (laughs) Saul, my husband, he was no help at all. Martha, it's not about what you want. It's her wedding. Jerry's a nice boy, and he'll be a good husband. Just be happy for them. Happy? I have been a nervous wreck. From the get-go, Portia tells me, Mom, no worries. I'm handling everything. What about a caterer and the flowers? And should I call a wedding planner? I ask her. Nothing. She wouldn't let me do nothing. Today was the big day. We all gathered here to witness the ceremony. My baby girl, getting married by a justice of the peace who was wearing Birkenstocks, shorts, and the kind of shirt you would wear to a luau. So after they exchanged their vows, we all head back to the reception, which is indoors and air-conditioned, thank God. But the food... All the spicy chicken barbecue and weird little deep-fried balls they call hush puppies and, and something called ramajama baked beans, collard greens casserole, and the salad with spicy pecans. And there is your wedding bill of fare. And me with irritable bowel syndrome. But, but here is the final straw, the wedding cake. They didn't have one. We all got a peppermint mocha cupcake. (laughs) It's over. Done. I had to get out and come down here to clear my head. Saul was right. It's not about the where or how you do the wedding. It's about the love. Portia and Jerry are so happy, and everybody seemed to enjoy themselves. I won't lie. (laughs) Once I got past the food and drank a few wonderful Brandy Alexanders, things got better. Okay. I had a good time. That's what I'm going to remember. My little princess Portia got married today, and it was the best wedding ever. Look at this beach. Spectacular. I'm going to have to talk to my wife Martha and tell her, forget about renting the vacation condo in Florida next year. This Gulf Shores is fantastic. Let me tell you, it was no easy time coming up to the big wedding day. The daughter tells us she wants this destination wedding where everybody slips down to the beach for the ceremony. Martha goes ballistic. My wife, she likes to be in charge, and Portia wasn't hearing it. When Martha is mad, it's like trying to talk a cat down from a tree. But we got through six months of pre-wedding hell. Everything worked out good. And the ceremony? Portia looked beautiful. I cried. That's what fathers do at their daughter's wedding. And after? The reception was nothing like you would have ever seen in Rockland County, New York. The food? It was out of this world. I'm going to surprise Martha and buy her a southern cooking book before we leave. Blow my socks off. I got to have some of those ramajama baked beans once we get home. And the band? 
We're talking 80 songs. We're talking Van Halen, Michael Jackson, Survivor, Bon Jovi, The Police, MC Hammer, and the B-52s. Love Shack, baby! <laughs> Martha and I were out on the dance floor showing those kids some kind of major maneuvers. A little moonwalking, popping, a little pop and lock, pulling out my MC hammer. I said to my daughter, these guys are awesome. They're playing the kind of music your mother and I had at our wedding. And you know what she says to me? Dad, this is the music from your wedding. I watched your wedding video, wrote down the playlist, and gave it to the band. I wanted to do something special for you, because without you and Mom, I wouldn't be celebrating my wedding today. Then she kisses me and says, I love you, Dad. Wow. Just wow and leave it at that. Tonight I celebrate my love. Piabo Bryson, Roberta Flack. That was the song Martha and I danced to at our wedding. I need to go find my 80s bride and see if she's up for taking a trip on the memory train and be open to loving the ride. Hey, little sister shotgun, it's a nice day to start again. It's a nice day for white wedding It's a nice day to start again Retired Upstage by Benjamin Peel Ian is played by Edward Peel and Pat by Richard Simpson. So, what are you having tonight, Ian? Fish pie. What? Fish pie. You got your hearing aids in? Yes. Uh, I hear Miriam has been causing trouble again. Swearing at the staff? They're still refusing to allow more than one glass of wine each evening. It's so sad that someone who was known for being so liberal says such racist things. Oh, she's got gaga. I don't think that's the politically correct. Term. We're too long in the tooth for all this bloody political correctness. Uh, what's the latest term? Oh, yes. Being woke. Speak for yourself, darling. I don't think you'll get away with saying that anymore, either. It's what I say to everyone, male or female, especially when I can't remember their names, which is all the time now. Would you want to be starting out again? Not sure that I would. Would we be afforded the same opportunities, you mean? As two white, middle-class actors? Hey, I'm a working class, and as gay as a nine-bob note. I don't think it would be just as... Well, again, you always had the better career. 
What do you mean? Well, you were always moving between the stage and the screen. So were you? Oh, yes, but in, in my case, it was the small screen. Well, nothing wrong with that. Well, plenty of people said to me uh, they couldn't understand why I wasn't working in films. Maybe it was your reputation for being difficult. I was no worse than some others I could mention, and besides, that part should have gone to me. Oh, here we go. I wondered how long it would take for this to come up when I moved in here. Oh, come on, you have to admit, I, I, I was more suited to the role. It was for a gay henchman in a gangster movie. I think I was more qualified than you. A henchman who was suppressing his sexuality. That's hardly you. I am an actor. I can play straight. He was supposed to be a muscled hard man. They must have seen something else I could offer. An affair with the director? Oh, that was much later on, and you know it. Anyway, these days a gay role would most probably go to a gay actor. If I played an alcoholic on stage, it didn't mean I was one. That's debatable. Is it any wonder when I didn't get that part? Come on. You can't blame not getting it for how the rest of your career turned out. It's not as if it's a great film anyway, but it's very much of its time. But it made your career. Not for long. Long enough when all the while I was scrabbling about here in flea pit theatres and being typecast in bit part roles on TV. Well, I'm here with you now, aren't I, in this palace of endless variety? Yes, why are you here? I thought you'd have made enough to retire comfortably somewhere surrounded by young acolytes hanging on your every utterances. I made a few unwise financial investments. Well, we're both stuck here now. It's like the end of the pier show. You know, maybe that's what we should do. What? Put on a show. To whom? The residents, the staff. We've never worked together before. We could do a two-hander. The dumb waiter, perhaps? Us? Us two playing hitmen at our age? Why not? We need a dumb waiter. Well, I'm sure we could get something rigged up. I'm not sure I could remember all the lines. We'll just read it, then. I want to be Ben. He's the more senior. Okay, you play him, then. Looks like they're ready to serve up. Enjoy your fish pie. Oh, look out, here comes Miriam. That's tonight's entertainment sorted out. I think I'll take my hearing aids out. Written by Lee Kirk and read by Bev Sweeney. Across from my house there was nothing but a citadel of scaffolding. I had a scream at the young team arseholes for climbing it like a fun frame two weeks back. Get off that, you wee dicks! And now I've got neighbours. Like a shite magic trick. Poof! Just appeared. Houses. 
Exact replica of mine, but with solar panels. I've not got solar panels. Nanny is doing this row. Marrow's all elderly couples apart from me. It's perfect. No noise. Just boring chat now and then, no? But this... This new row is like a poverty platter. I've now got a junky-looking jogger who I think is female. He, she stares at you until you smile when passing by. I'm scared if I don't, I'll be taken hostage. A young family diagonally across. The lassie just sits there with a vape, looking like she's solving a mystery as her fanny fruit scream forever punching each other on the front lawn. Everything is busy. The road... The street. I hear car exhaust in the morning drowning out the birds from the nearby forest. I miss the waft of pine trees when it's windy. This morning, because it's Sunday, usually everything's quiet thanks to the hangovers. So I've been enjoying getting up early, driving up to the wee shop for my rolls and magazine. But no, now I have neighbours directly across. Moved in last night. So I'm just parking the car. And I realise a magic tree scent is gone. I'll lean in and take a huge sniff to clarify. <sighs> Nothing. Gone? Just stopped smelling? I was getting my pine fix. So I'm enraged. Livid. I bought a tree pack online and gave the rest to Tonza so he can cover up the smell of weed in his car. I pull out my phone and start caps locking a review on the website forum. Magic Mars. Paul Daniels would be ashamed. I have had one solitary week of fresh pain and then nothing. Shite. No buying it again. I hear a dog howling and I look up and roll down the window. It's coming direct across for that new neighbour. Now, I'm no a howl expert or anything. And I'm sure there's different kinds of hills, but oh my me, this sounded distressed. So I get out of the car, lock the door and I walk over. As I approach, the front door slightly opens. I glance at the opening while looking towards the hill. It's coming for the side of the house. The opening's all dark. I feel nervous, but a distressed hill requires action. I posture myself more Towards the side of the house, my shoes loudly crunched stones, sounded like fortune cookies, leading me down a wee path by the side of the house. I see a garden at the end of the path, all kind of basically, you know, green grass, washing line with no clothes, and a cage. This wee dog, wee greyfriars dug in the cage, howling away. I look up and I see from the house a window with two people looking down at me. A tall man standing, full on frowning, and a woman behind him peering from the side. I'm looking confused. I point towards the dog, mouthing, Is the dog all right? The man nods. I now shout up, Aye, but is it all right? He says because it's a puppy, and mumbled the rest. The woman behind him is violently shaking her head, and then all I hear is, Doof! He hits the window. And I mean full force, and the howling stops. His face, though, is what terrified me. He smiled, without blinking, saying, Everything is fine now, isn't it? I froze. His look, just the focus, 
direct on me. I walk away, forcing a semi-polite wave, back across the road, straight to the car, taking a deep breath. And then I realise, why am I at my car? I should have went inside the house and now I look like a dick. I bet he's watching me. I reach for the car keys. Not there. I manically pat my pockets. Nothing. Shit. I look back over at the house. I walk the exact same direction, scanning for the keys, and I see the front door is now closed. I see the keys line up the side path, and I softly crunch my way up towards them. Hiya! Morning! Says the junkie jogger across the street, stopping, standing at my car. I wanted to stab him, her. Never before a single word uttered. So why start conversing now, for fuck's sake? So I walk from the side, picking up the keys, stones crunching louder on each step, and the dog starts howling. I walk towards the jogger, I missed a full-faced beamer, fake smiling like fuck. Walk straight to the driver's side of the car, saying, Hiya, eh, sorry, I've got to go. I left my rolls at the shop. Totally cutting him, her off. I open, get in, slam shut, key in the ignition engine on, turn the radio on full volume, not once looking up. I pick up my phone as John Williams' acoustic fingering settles me, drowning out the howling. I quickly peek up to see if the joggers jogged. Aye, gone. I look straight at the house, nothing, not one thing moving. I look at the magic tree hanging, then down at my phone and I see a reply to my review. Hi Merrill 1966, I'm sorry that your tree scent is faulty. Kindly dispose of the faulty tree, return the render of the pack and I will be happy to send out a new pack. I replied, No, fuck up. Don't come into work where I come down. That reply made as much sense as you ever getting fanny. I drove the car away from the howling down the hill. Slowing down at the speed bump, I see the junkie jogger jogging. I took my horn and he, she immediately ducks and dives into the bushes. I look near your view. Doesn't even come back out. I don't even know where I'm going as I speed up once at the bottom. To somewhere I go. This piece is called A Novel Journey. It's written and performed by Stephanie McGill from The Wirral. I couldn't believe it. I'd done a two-bus journey to get here with piles of books that weren't even mine. Nan had volunteered me. Seems it's not just books Elsie likes to loan. It's granddaughters too. Nan handed them over and beamed as she said, I hope you're following my good undies rule because if there's a crash and you've got a hole in your knickers and this portable love library with you, we'll never hear the end of it. You don't want your substandard pants or assumed lack of literary taste being the talk of the town, do you? 
the bags groaned, and so did I. Once settled on the bus, I took a peek. Two bags for life full of romance, where women are ravished by men who want to diversify their bloodline by biffing the maid. There were ones here I hadn't read. They were new, but well-thumbed, and some passages were underlined, presumably by Elsie. I'm never going to be able to look her and Frank in the eyes again. I'd planned on returning the books and heading into town for a wander. Now I was hoping to loan these beauties and come back for them afterwards. I needed to know how the frisson between Lord Clark and Betsy panned out. The library was closed, but the door was open. A contradiction. I never normally do things I shouldn't, not without Nan anyway. The sign said shut. The open door disagreed. I tentatively stepped inside. The air smelt of dusty paper, old leather and ink. Like Mr Morgan, the head of English from school, who used to park his car around the corner and offer me a lift. Till Nan found out and saw him off. I was gutted. Because one, he listened to me. And two, I'd saved a fortune on bus fare. The building was old, but not creepy. I liked it. I didn't think I was scared, but my bumhole told me otherwise. I understood it to be the awareness that you're somewhere without permission, and I now knew why burglars pooed inside wardrobes when they're on the rob. Moan and these are more readings from my blog, Cheers, Govan Hill. This is a mad street I live in. Post-pub shouting and singing, yelling and screaming through the evening, kids running up and down all day. It feels like their only power, the only way to convince themselves they exist is to make as much noise as they can. Know the feeling, kids? But then I remember going to visit a pal last year in Penalee, pleasant wee suburb on the south side. Neat council houses, trim little gardens, mature trees and wide pavements. Sitting in the back garden with a can of beer, peace and quiet, lazy summer's evening, this is their life. But then I get dropped off on Victoria Road later that night and the place was bouncing. People in the streets, talking or in groups, on their way to the pub or the off-sales. Fruit shops still open, crates on the pavement, the colours from the street lights and the traffic lights, the smell from the takeaway joints and restaurants, the pizza place and the chicken shop. The laughter 
the chatter, the way everyone was moving. The toddlers in the back court will be inside the bins again tomorrow, but tonight, cheers, Governor Hill. The rich languages of our streets, unknown accents and blunt throats, flapping tongues and a slanging rhyme. Home counties English, Irish Gaelic, Romanian Slovakian and Polish, Urdu, Punjabi, Arabic and Somali, Pakistan, Bangladesh and Iraq, Cowcadens, Bishop Briggs, Thornley Bank. The immigrants' tail in every city, unskilled jobs, minimum wage, part-time temporary labour, living in crowded, dangerous, noisy neighbourhoods with the most exotic fruit shops, the best takeaways and dozens of pubs. Who else is going to work in our hot foam car washes, meat processing factories, warehouses, all-night restaurants and multi-storey car parks? Who will be the delivery drivers, cleaners, packers, care workers and crop pickers except me and my fellow immigrants? Cheers, global capitalism. There's not much to behold outside. Tenement opposite, loud music, man in his pants at the window. The horizon is a building just like mine blocking the view. An imaginary prison is still a real prison. Just because it's made up doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm free to leave, but I can't find the door. Tracy from across the street fell asleep in the living room, accidentally set fire to the couch and whoosh, the whole place went up in a red glow and black smoke. Clothes get evacuated, whole street woken up, scorch marks up three storeys on the outside. Aye, cheers Tracy, daft bastard. Salvation lies within, hopefully. Is that it? Is that what it is? Let me know, Govan Hill. Every city has its non-places. Un-places. Semi-places, unseen and unreal. The city wilderness and underground car parks, motorway flyovers, derelict land, demolished bridges. The background sounds nobody hears. Traffic overhead, electric pylons, the groaning from the railway line. Warehouses, underpasses, porta cabins with a function and a purpose that make them invisible. If you want to be invisible, you go to these known places too. There's never anyone else around, apart from the odd druid drinking mead, getting high, being mindful. Why do you need to go to the desert or take peyote or mescaline and commune with your ancestral spirits? This is a sacred environment too, an ancient gathering place, a setting straight from the gods. Sit here on this discarded couch, on this patch of land, contaminated land. Connect with nature and contemplate your surroundings, the silence, the wildlife, the incredible vista stretching all the way to that broken window. 
My flat has become an unknown place. No one comes to my door apart from the occasional uniformed cop asking about disturbance in the building earlier that day and did I hear anything? No, I didn't. Did you? Aye. Cheers, Governor Hill. Take a good look at this face. Remember this name. You'll remember them both for a long time to come. In a motion picture you will not soon forget. This is the picture Time magazine calls the best British movie since Room at the Top. The New York Times calls it brilliant, so clarified and concentrated that it excites, delights and hurts. And goes on to say, Albert Finney, a new sensation of the British stage and screen, is a very exceptional specimen. One of the most vigorous of recent pictures, says the New York Herald Tribune, a very exceptional film, a gem of the naturalistic style. between right and wrong. I don't think you ever will. Maybe I won't, but I don't want anybody to teach me either. Hello, I'm Lisa Oates from Melbourne, Australia. And this is for one of my favourite people in the whole world. I love you, Glenn Dixon. My Country by Dorothea McKellar. The love of field and coppice, of green and shaded lanes, of ordered woods and gardens is running through your veins. Strong love of grey-blue distance, brown streams and soft, dim skies, I know, but I cannot share it. My love is otherwise. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons. I love her jewel sea, her beauty and her terror. The wide brown land for me. A stark white ring-barked forest all tragic to the moon. The sapphire misted mountains the hot gold hush of noon, green tangle of the brushes where lithe lianas coil, and orchids deck the treetops and ferns the warm dark soil. Core of my heart, my country, her pitiless blue sky, where sick at heart around us we see the cattle die, but then the grey clouds gather and we can bless again the drumming of an army, the steady soaking rain. Core of my heart, my country, land of the rainbow gold, for flood and fire and famine, 
she pays us back threefold. Over the thirsty paddocks, watch, after many days, the filmy veil of greenness that thickens as we gaze. An opal-hearted country, a willful, lavish land. All you who have not loved her, you will not understand. Though earth holds many splendours wherever I may die, I know to what brown country my homing thoughts will fly.
You've been listening to episode 18 of Writer's Block Radio Hour. Tonight you heard Glenn Dixon, Vivian Lamond, Pauline Goldsmith, Peter Moen, Anya King, Benjamin Peel, Lee Kirk, Stephanie McGill, Dorothea McKellar, Lisa Roach, Michael Herring, Jean Hartley-Sidden, Stephen McColl, Richard Simpson, Edward Peel, Bev Sweeney, with music from Martin Stevenson and the Dainties. Writer's Block Radio Hour was curated and produced by Glenn Dixon. Don't forget to join us next week at the same time. <laughs>